Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. Drink beer, talk football. If you're new to the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, review, follow the podcast, and follow on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at PGF Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing and McKenziebrewing.com to check out their lineup of award-winning craft beers. We've got a great show today, PGF Nation. We're going to start with some NFL news. We're going to look back at the weekend that was in college football, talk about some of the big games and some of the big games from week three of the NFL, and we're going to give you my quarterback PGF power rankings of the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL right now, and I'm going to let Ty tell me where I'm right or wrong, and of course, we'll end the show with our pick six segment, where we'll pick our six best bets of the weekend ahead. Excited to be joined by radio and podcast legend, my co-host, Tyrone Powell. What is up, Ty? I'm doing all right this evening. I'm feeling pretty good. We got a good week three behind us, getting ready to look forward to a week four in the first quarter of the NFL season. And oh, yes, there's are some storms, some brewing in the college football atmosphere. So I'm ready for it. Yeah, I can't wait to dive into all this once again with you, Ty. A lot to get to today, but I wanted to touch on some recent NFL news. Now, we record this show on Tuesday night. It usually doesn't drop until late Wednesday or early Thursday if you're on the East Coast. So some of this stuff could be in the making this week, but I wanted to touch on the Josh Gordon story. Wide receiver Josh Gordon, the former All-Pro, is signing with the Kansas City Chiefs. I think this is a big-time story because this guy, although he's passed Past his prime here and hasn't been in the league for a while. This guy led the league in receiving in 2013. Now reports state that multiple teams have shown interest, but he's apparently going to sign with the Chiefs. What do you make of this story, Ty? It's like, why do the good teams always get better? Or they, they know what to do before the league starts. And it's like Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, now Bruce Arians kind of fell into this storm. They know what to do to not let anybody else get some of these quality players that can help an organization. Now, one, I don't want to be brutal when I'm saying this, so PGF people feel free to be on my side in this one. They are going to need somebody to watch him tooth and nail like because he can't get away from himself. I know that they're trying to do so many things to rehab him. But I absolutely love this for the Kansas City Chiefs. I do respect the AFC West a lot. And, of course, that track meet of an offense. That's what I, I call them, the track meet. If, if Mahomes says hike, that's a gun going off and everybody's running 4-3 speed. But now you ask Josh, Josh Gordon to the mix and how well he can actually run routes. And him not being the main focal guy is more more or less still Tyreek and Kelsey they have to worry about he could just go out there and be the third or second option however they look at it if Hardman or Robinson are the guys that come out on the field this is incredible for a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes Jr. to have as weapons on a, a Sunday by Sunday basis this is incredible I, I'm going to find it pretty hard for a lot of defenses to contend with them on a, a game by game basis 
Yeah, you're certainly right, Ty. The rich get richer with this signing for sure. Like I said, a guy that's past his prime, but he's still only 30 years old. And you're right about watching closely his off-the-field type of stuff because this is a guy that's been in and out of the league for a reason. And they're going to have to really monitor his behavior, so to speak. But if he can keep his head on straight and he can stay on the field and provide some value, I think this could be a huge in-season signing for the Chiefs. McCole Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, and Byron Pringle have combined for 260 yards this season. So they've been good, but not great. And I think they're really looking for an every down wide receiver to play opposite of Tyreek Hill. So this could be a really big time signing for the Chiefs and just adds another big time playmaker into the mix for what is already an explosive offense. The other news I wanted to touch on here, Ty, not as big of a story, but I thought it was fascinating when I read that Richard Sherman is in discussions to sign with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. When you look at this secondary, they're really beat up. Cornerback Sean Murphy Bunting and cornerback Jamel Dean are both injured. Now, Sherman is 33. He's definitely past his prime at this point, but he's a guy who can tackle and he brings a lot of big game experience to this Tampa Bay Bucks team if he does end up signing there. What do you make of this potential signing? I wonder what type of scheme they're going to use for him because he has slowed down. He's had the injury to his heel. Um, so this is something that I'm worried about. But they do have a good defensive unit. If they could bring that pressure up front with the front seven, I think that they'll be all right to at least get quarterbacks to rush throw so he can make a play at that time. I don't think it's a situation where they can let quarterbacks sit back there and buy time and let him run around for a little bit because these receivers now, they are brutally fast. And I don't I don't want him to be in a situation like he was years ago in that uh, Super Bowl where he lost with the San Francisco 49ers. So I feel like this is a good quality pickup uh, while they're suffering with the injury bug down there at Tampa Bay, but they're just fine. And they do have the story of a guy named Brady on that team. So they're all right. Yeah, I think you're right, Ty, and I think his experience will certainly help, and like I mentioned, he's a sure tackler, which is something that the secondary has really been bad, especially in last week's game against the Rams, and I wanted to jump into that game here. This was a huge matchup. I'm sure most of you watched it. This was certainly the game of the week in the NFL. The LA Rams beat the Buccaneers 34-24 and what I would consider a measure stick game to really see how good these teams both are. The Rams made a big time statement at home versus the defending champs. Are the Rams the new Super Bowl favorites, Ty? I think this is just a game that happened. I think the Rams are a strong team. Their defense is legit. Um, Their offense is definitely going to make it happen. I feel like if they get a stronger presence in that running game, they'll be all right. I think they could, of course, pick up short yardage situations, but they definitely proved the point by actually putting up enough points to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But then again, I still look at Brady when the clock strikes 12, gets to December, they go into 1 o'clock, which would be January. I still feel like he may be the king walking around the ballroom while other people kick off their glass slipper, watch the pumpkin turn into a pumpkin, the rats still run around out in the dirt, and you know how the story goes. So this is the crazy part of how the offense looks now. Hopefully D-Jack can stay alive. Cooper Cup has been playing some great ball. Robert Woods has been out there playing outstanding, and Tyler Higby is 
one of the better security blankets for uh, Matthew Stafford as well. So they picked up a quality win. But you just spoke about three minutes ago on the necessity of having Richard Sherman there because they're hurt at the cornerback position. So they had to take advantage of the situation while they were hurt in the secondary, and it showed. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said there, Ty. And I think for the Bucks, this is a team that's already proved it. They've already climbed the mountain where the Rams are aspiring to be where the Bucks are right now. So let's face it, this was a bigger game for LA than it was Tampa Bay. I think it showed certainly. They came out and really took it to the Bucks. This was a huge win for them to show that they're legit. Matt Stafford was awesome in this game. He threw for four touchdowns, two of them to Cooper Cup, who you mentioned is on an absolute terror. This guy has been shredding the league so far, putting up some monster numbers. What impressed me so much about this game was the Rams defense really won the battle up front versus the Bucks O line. We know how great Aaron Donald was, but these guys got a a lot of pressure on Brady. He was pressured 27% of his throws. He had pressure from that Rams front seven, and it really showed this game because they just weren't able to quite get it going like we had seen in games prior this year. This game, like I said, it was big for LA. They made a big statement win, but I'm not going to throw dirt on the Bucks. They're still my NFC favorite. I think it's just one game. I expect them to bounce back. The Bucks secondary, like we talked about, is really thin with injuries. Matt Stafford and company exposed them in this game. I don't think we've seen the best football from the Bucs this year. I do expect them to start playing a lot better. For me, though, the Rams' depth is a question mark. That's the one thing that I think, as good as they look right now, they really don't have a ton of depth behind a lot of these key starters. So a key injury or two to this Rams starting unit could really hinder where they want to aspire to be late in the season. But big time win by them. And I want to shift here, Ty, to another game that had a really, I don't know if it was a surprising outcome. It certainly surprised some people, but this is a team that I've been really high on this year. They've really been my dark horse pick in the AFC, and that's the LA Chargers getting a big-time win against the Kansas City Chiefs in that AFC West divisional game. Justin Herbert outplayed Patrick Mahomes in this game, and that is really saying something. This kid is really coming into his own. He went 26 of 38, four touchdowns, zero picks, and the game-winning touchdown pass with four seconds to go. He was absolutely lights out, Ty. This guy stepped in into this light, and he's ready for it. He's in the AFC West, so he's going to have to be ready for Patrick Mahomes in this track meet. Every time they match up, they play two times a year. He can't even dodge a bullet if he tried. So he's learning on the go. I wish a lot of quarterbacks would be ready for the moxie of early talent and being ready for like anything being thrown their way. And you know that you're going to have to be better than them. Like you can't sit here year after year and lose those quality seasons where they were like, well, this is the best opportunity that we had. And this is the best structured team that we got from management. No, while this team is tough or whatever you have in front of you with Eckler and Allen and company and the defense being as strong as it can be with pressure that they could get up front to get to a Mahomes to make this a tougher game, take advantage of the situation in Herbert. That was a guy that I've been watching since he's been around your area out there in Oregon. Want him to be a part of the team that I love, and they didn't pull the trigger on him. He did an exceptional job this Sunday, and I can't even say much more about it. I mean, and to go into Arrowhead and win that game speaks volumes because they're almost unbeatable in Missouri. It was a huge win. The Chargers defense really stepped up big in this game as well with two fumble recoveries and two interceptions. But when I look at the Kansas City defense, 
I think they are becoming a major issue for this team. They can't stop the run, giving up 161 yards a game so far this season. They can't rush the passer. They're averaging only 1.3 sacks per game, and they're bad in the red zone, giving up 11 touchdowns in 12 trips. Something has got to change if Kansas City wants to get back to the top. This defense is really what's holding them back right now. I know we just talked about them making a move to get Josh Gordon and try to bolster that offense. But if I'm the Chiefs, I'm looking for answers on the defensive side of the ball. After a slow start here, Ty, are the Chiefs still the AFC favorites in your opinion? Of course. To be the man, you got to beat the man. Shout out to Ric Flair, especially with them adding a Josh Gordon. Like like we just mentioned a little while ago, their offense is still a juggernaut. You're going to have to deal with them in and out. Barring any injury, hopefully they stay healthy. This is one nasty offense to deal with. Uh, their defense is going to have the issues. Every team has a chink in its armor one way or another. Is you got to figure out a way to attack where they're weak at. And uh, their defense may be the one that's not caught up to the offense, but I don't think there's going to be too many defenses that are parallel with what Kansas City presents on the offensive side of the ball and what Andy Reid could create. Not only are the Chargers a team for the for them to worry about, you have to worry about the Raiders as well. The start that they're off to, too, quarterbacks as Herbert or Carr, these, these guys are making their names known within that division alone. So, um, again, I, I feel like Mahomes could actually turn this thing around, still be the cream of the crop in the AFC. Of course, there are a couple of teams that have better records than them. I think at this point in time, the Chiefs are the worst team in their division. So that's the worst part about this. So I, I think that they'll probably have that as bulletin board material and hopefully turn the ship around. Yeah, because the Broncos just got another win, a 26-0 blowout win against the Jets. They haven't really beaten anybody, let's be honest, but they're 3-0, and and this division is really deep. These two West divisions have certainly looked like the two best divisions in football so far, and it's going to be a little bit of an uphill climb here, especially with that big divisional loss to the Chargers. But a big game in the NFC that I want to talk about here, Ty, was the Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers. The Packers get a huge huge win 30 to 28 this was an incredible watch it came down to the absolute wire what are your initial thoughts on this game uh we just talked about it last week relax this is a situation where Aaron Rodgers is going to bounce back and he's been in this scene of the crime losing in front of his home I don't want to say his home field but he's from the Bay Area California guy uh knowing he grew up around that area knowing that he hasn't been too good up against the 49ers and the crazy part about it is historically they've had his number so not only was that like a, a team win but also for himself to actually pull that one out with everything on the line everybody's waiting all day for Sunday night and for the time to be in favor of the Niners uh, him making some critical throws. But this is the one thing about the Niners that killed me. And I don't like this when defensive coordinators want to be the smartest guy in the room. You can't get caught out there with linebackers defending. The best wide receiver in the game, Devontae Adams was out there being defended by linebackers at times. And in one, I think in one point in this drive, he was caught <clears throat> with the hand in the jar and Rodgers overthrew the uh, linebacker and hit Devontae clearly where he needed to be hit. And, and they caught the defense lacking. You got to have guys in the secondary to be prepared for a guy like Devontae Adams. There's nobody that, there's no defensive coordinator that could be misprepared going up against Aaron Rodgers and his weapons. This, this is unacceptable. But I got to give credit to the Packers for them to go into a hostile environment out there in Santa Clara, knocking off the Niners while they're actually playing good football. They were 2-0 and at the given time, too. They were trying to make that run to remain unbeaten and got defeated with 37 seconds left on the clock. So that that's tough. 
Yeah, there's no doubt, Ty. This one had to sting. The 49ers fought back from 17 down in this game to take the lead, like you said, with 37 seconds to go. Garoppolo made some huge throws in the clutch, big-time throws on third down. I I was actually really impressed with Jimmy Garoppolo in this game. I thought he showed a lot of poise. He made some big-time plays and some big-time moments. But you just gave Aaron Rodgers too much time because, like you said, he threw a couple lasers to Devontae Adams to set up a 53-yard game-winning field goal as time expired. This is a big win for the Packers, a massive win by the Packers because they start the season 2-1 and one instead of starting the season 1-2. and two. So this was one of those swing type of games for them, and it was a big one. And you could tell by Rodgers' reaction that this one meant a lot to him and this team. This is the crazy thing about this comeback win, though, Ty. As great as Aaron Rodgers is, this was the first time in his career he has beaten a team with a winning record when trailing in the fourth quarter. Prior to this game, he was 0-42 until Sunday in those situations. Pretty shocking, as great as he is. And we know he's a gold jacket guy, no doubt about it. He'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But the one big mark on his career is that he has not been clutch. And you could easily make that argument. We've talked about it off the mic and on the mic, for that matter, about his failures in the NFC Championship games, his failures in big-time moments, especially when he's behind. But this was a big one for him to be able to pull out this win versus a very good 49ers team. So my question here is, Ty, how good are the Green Bay Packers? They're they're always at the top of the the conference. Forget their division or however it looks on the east or west side of the Mississippi. They are one of the top three or top five teams as long as number 12 puts on a jersey in green and yellow. And unfortunately, that's a team that's in my division that I don't like to watch play, but I know I have to watch him because of how great he is. And analytically, I have to be on top of it. But he does some gaudy things with the football. And one thing about Aaron Rodgers that makes him so deadly in comparison to quarterbacks of all time, forget even just like right now, of all time, is that he believes in his arm so much that these guys can not only be step for step with a receiver or a tight end, he will make the throw and squeeze that pass, whether it's underneath the defender's elbow, right over his shoulder, next to his helmet. And it's like the defender can't do anything but try to defend the player. And it's like the offensive player knows whether it's Tanyan or Adams, how is he making these throws with great defense on top of these guys? It's like, I don't know how much more incredible this guy can get. There are two teams outside of Tampa Bay and the Rams that are scary to make a run for not only NFC championship, but could probably contend for a Super Bowl. And the Packers are on that list, it sounds like. The Packers are one of them. The other one is Jerry's World. Oh, oh man. Okay. I got to hear this, Ty. So they just came off of a big Sunday night football win, or excuse me, Monday night football win against the Philadelphia Eagles, a team that, let's face it, they look like a tire fire right now, but they beat them up like they should. They were impressive in doing so. Dak was impressive in this game. So tell me why the Dallas Cowboys are Super Bowl contenders. Here's why. Something finally showed up and they're waiting for one bow tie on top of this package <laughs> to be there for all of the Cowboy Nation. Their defense is finally playing football. Somewhat on the back end, it may be favorable because it was the Eagles, but they are slowly turning 
the table here. They took care of business up against the Chargers. They're pulling that win out, and we just spoke well about Herbert. Then they come up against the Philadelphia Eagle team where they have a mobile quarterback and Jalen Hurts and basically shutting the door on him and blowing them out. But the defense is actually making plays, turning the ball over. And, oh, yes, the bow tie that I'm talking about that needs to go on top of everything, it's Ezekiel Elliott. If Zeke can actually run the ball consistent to help out Tony Pollard, I was just here last week picking on him, but he finally showed up. Now, I don't know if this is a situation where I'm just picking on the Philadelphia Eagles. If they can get him to play consistent ball, if this defense could actually get a turnover or two, this is a scary team. and This is crazy that Dak has come back to this type of football, getting the contract where people questioned it, and myself included, talking about Zeke not being the guy that should be toting the ball for much longer if he couldn't turn this around, and he did. This can be a scary situation for the Cowboys to be better. They have good quality everything. They have an offensive line. They have running backs. Their receiving core is good. They just got to stay away from the injury bug. Gallup was out, and they did this. So, this, this is a tough scenario for a lot of teams to have to contend with so many pieces at a dynamic offense as well. I'll tell you what. I like the take, Ty. I like the take. I, I'm not sure I'm with you on them as a contender just yet, but I will say Dak is playing at an incredibly high level. They do have a ton of playmakers. Ezekiel Elliott and Pollard are a legit running back duo. The defense, you're right, has shown big-time improvement. I love what I've seen from rookie Micah Parsons. He was my pick for rookie of the year. He looks like he's the front runner right now. He's been a beast. He's flying around with a guy like his hair's on fire. I love what I've seen from him. Moving him to defensive end and he just steps up and takes over that position. Really impressed with what I've seen from him. I'm not sure they're a contender and this is why. I'm going to push back on this just a little bit. Now, Dak has done this before, right? He beats up on the NFC East. Dak is 11-1 versus the NFC East. But the Cowboys haven't beaten a 10-plus win team since 2018. So this is kind of their MO. They show up in these big games against a bad team in the NFC East. Some of these cupcakes, they smash them. And then it gets guys like me and you kind of excited. It gets the media kind of excited. We all go, wait, is Dallas for real? And then they go up against a real team and get smashed. So until they can do it in a game that really matters against a team that's a legit playoff threat, I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit. But I like your take. I like what you're saying. I think they're trending in the right direction. And with the rest of this division looking so god-awful, I think they are clearly the heavy favorites in this division, which means they're going to get in the playoffs. And they need to make some noise here. And the one thing that will hold them back is McCarthy. What in the world was this guy doing at the end of the first half, taking his timeouts to the locker room with them? What is he doing there, Ty? They clearly could have stopped the clock and gotten the ball back with, I think, about a minute and 45 left, somewhere in that range, and had a chance to put another score on the board and really put this game out of reach. Now, hindsight's twenty twenty. We see the score now, and it's like, okay, it was a blowout. They didn't need those points. But this game wasn't out of reach at that point. And they could have really put it out of reach at halftime by being aggressive. What is he doing saving those timeouts and just running the clock out? Uh, there's no excuse about that. Um, just knowing how high-powered this offense is, like I just explained, they're all catching up, including a situation where Zeke has now built that confidence back up. And knowing he, he does have confidence, but it's actually showing now, at least in this game and a division rival where they're going to be charged up to come up against them and playing in Jerry's world, 
I, I I have no explanation for it. There's so many question marks in front of Mike McCarthy that he has the answer, but it'll have to be sweet unless he gets them to a playoff bid or win their division or get them to an NFC championship game or better. So if he falls apart and they actually fall short, there, there's still going to be a lot of questions that loom in front of him, including these scenarios where he's actually mismanaging this team. So I, I can't answer this myself, but we're looking at this analytically within pint glass football and, these are unexcusable, but I mean, they won. They were on a high going into that locker room and it showed when they came out the locker room and blowing this team out handily. So I got to give credit to the Cowboys and the Eagles have to figure themselves out. But Mike McCarthy, you you dodged a little bullet right now. We'll see if it comes back to bite you. Yeah, the clock management issues have been head scratching to say the least. But I want to shift gears here, Ty, because there was a head scratching loss in college football. The Clemson Tigers losing to North Carolina State 27 to 21. Since 2015, Clemson was 53 and 3 versus ACC teams. They had completely owned this conference. We've talked about them sliding from where they were and after losing some key guys like Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, and some other big-time players, we expected them to maybe not be quite as good this year, but this has been a bigger slide than I think most people thought coming. Is this the death of a dynasty, Ty? I don't think it's a death of a dynasty. I just think that this is an offense that has to put it together. Their defense actually did as much as they can but for this game to go into a late opportunity and for Clemson to fall short, I feel bad for them. Uh, this is a heavy hit as Clemson, I think, falls the 25th in the nation with this loss right here. North Carolina State definitely is, if I'm playing this game or scenario, 10 games out of 10, I think Clemson would leave this building a winner 9 out of 10. I definitely think that they need to turn the ship around. But I'm not even looking at the death of the dynasty. I'm not even looking at the defense. I'm not even looking at DJ or the offense. How about Dabo Sweeney? How are they not prepared? How are they not ready for a team that they know that's within their conference in the ACC? Like I said, if I'm playing this game 10 times out of 10, I should dare not think the Wolfpack are a better team than the, the Clemson Tigers at this point in time. So I'm I'm puzzled because if it doesn't get better after the Georgia game where they actually put up a good game, then you go into week two and everybody's still questioning this to week three and how this situation went down where we were just revisiting this. And I, you said you wanted to wait before you pulled the trigger just last week. This was you. That's why I said I can feel it. I can feel it coming as soon as you wanted to go to college football. And right now they lose to North Carolina State in a situation where it was 27 to 21. And this went late and, and they couldn't move the ball. Dabble, you have been around too long for you to fall short up against a team that's unranked. I, I'm not buying this at all. You, you, you're better than this. And, and I don't know, is Dabble overrated? Forget the death of a dynasty. Wow. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, I don't think his seat is hot. That's for sure. Because oh, no. this is a guy that's built up. Yeah. He's built up enough equity. I think he's safe for sure. As far as his coaching, you could say he got out coached. I don't think that's completely out of the realm of possibility because let's face it, even with all the talent they've lost, they still have the way more talented roster than a North Carolina State Wolfpack team, and they should beat these guys. There's really no excuse for it. Now, their offensive line, like we talked about last week, hasn't looked very good. The running game hasn't looked good. The offense just hasn't looked very good. The defense has been good, but, yeah, this is an inexcusable loss for a program of this stature to lose to one of the bottom feeders of the ACC. Their hopes of returning to the college football playoff all but vanished, Ty, with, on Saturday with the second loss of the season. This was big. 
But when you look at the overall scope of college football here, the television ratings for college football have been through the roof. Last year, we had the pandemic and there was the cancellation of the Big Ten season and the cancellation of the Pac-12 season. And then they started late and had shortened seasons and there was no non-conference games. And it really just made a mess of college football last year. This year, with it back and feeling like normal again and fans back in the stands, it is showing in the TV ratings because the people are watching these games at an incredible clip. People are tuned in big time for college football. I think it, what we've seen so far for college football, it's been good for the sport because let's face it, these last few years have been really top heavy with the Alabamas and Oklahomas, Clemsons and Ohio States of the world. It's kind of nice to see a little bit of fresh blood in there. And I think the fans across the nation are starting to really rejoice about this. When you look at the Big Ten, they've got five undefeated teams. UCLA has one loss versus now a top 25 team and gets number three Oregon at home. That's a fun matchup on the West Coast. There's three 4-0 and Big 12 teams. Even if OU looks a little shaky, there's still a lot of teams that are winning that we didn't expect to be this good this late in the season. We talked about it last week, but Florida is a legit SEC contender. Cincinnati has a chance to make a case for a college football playoff. When they take on Notre Dame, who's undefeated and just beat number 18 Wisconsin, it's been an absolute blast so far, Ty. What, what do you make kind of like a helicopter view, so to speak, of college football? What do you make of this season and what we've seen so far with all the shakeup? The shakeup is no team is safe other than Alabama, and Alabama's even been pressed in a situation where they went up against Florida, and Florida basically was a two-point conversion away from making that an overtime game, and we all know how that could have ended up panning out. Either Alabama could have stopped them, quickly or Florida could have kept fighting tooth and nail. But <clears throat> looking at Georgia, Georgia fought tooth and nail to get to a number two spot and looks like they're going to be there for quite some time until they run into a, a tough competitor within their conference as well. Oregon with that shocker that they pulled off up against Ohio State, I think they're still on that buzz and trying to keep Crystal Bowl out there in Oregon, Oregon as best as possible. Penn State doing their thing. I was another team that we spoke on as well before. They have to run into a big name before they get stopped because they always run the table as best as possible. I'm not sold on Oklahoma. I'm not. Uh, they're running into trouble every other game, but somehow they know how to outlast the team. But they're playing down to their competition. Uh, Cincinnati quality team especially the way that they ended their season last year bittersweet moment where they watched the team basically run through the confetti and they basically living off of watching that happen to them and not watching it fall apart again uh this season as well arkansas is probably the story of the year for them coming out of the, the shadows and coming into the limelight of being a top 10 ranked team having to give them their credit in order Dame, for some odd reason they are not reinventing the wheel they're going with what works Looking at this offense top to bottom, they are able to go out there and make plays. Their defense is actually coming up well and picking the ball off too. I don't believe that they should be ranked higher than Florida. I think Florida is a better team than them. Ohio State as well, I feel like, is stronger than Notre Dame, but they've done enough to at least stay within the top 10. And that's notable as well. But just looking at the Texas A&M situation, they fell down. And like I said, Clemson fell down too. Wake Forest has made a push to get to the top 25. Also with the Wolfpack with their big win as well. Auburn escaped. Uh, UCLA with their big win up against Louisiana State as well is another one, too. And Michigan State is also another team that caught a lot of people by surprise with their 4-0 start and them having to dodge a bullet late in that game up against Nebraska, winning that one by three. 
Yeah, it's just been crazy. It's been so much more balanced than we've seen in years past. One team that you touched on that I've got to jump back to, Ty, is Texas A&M. I said when they barely escaped with the three-point win over Colorado that this team had no business being in the top five. Well, the Aggies offense was absolutely terrible. Again, scoring only 95 points in four games combined. They lost 20 to 10 to the up and coming Arkansas Razorbacks team that you spoke of. Hats off to them. That's a huge program win for them. But this this team has just not been what we expected coming into the year. They had college football playoff aspirations, and those aspirations are all but gone. They simply cannot move the football tie. And with Mississippi State next, week then Alabama Auburn and Old Miss still on the schedule there is no way I see them finishing inside the top 25 we'll see how this all pans out in the top 25 because it gets shaky especially when we get to the month of November and a lot of people are making their pushes toward these conference battles and definitely trying to make a big time bowl game but I, I don't I don't know how this will pan out because we've seen stranger things before but again, I mean, it's strong ball being played across the board and, and nothing is like set in stone because the parody is just so much better nowadays, Saturday by Saturday or Thursday, Fridays and Saturday in college football. Yeah, you're definitely right, Ty, because if you look at the AP top 15 at the start of the year, there have been six teams in that top 15 who already have two losses, Clemson, Iowa State, UNC, Wisconsin, Miami and USC. Three more teams have one loss, Ohio State, Texas A&M, and Florida. And you talked about it. Oklahoma and Notre Dame have both barely survived multiple times. So it's been absolute chaos in the college football landscape so far. But I absolutely love it. It's been a blast. And I cannot wait for the games this weekend. But it's time for PGF Power Rankings. It's time for a, a new twist on the PGF Power Rankings. We're going to mix it up this week, and we're going to give you, or I'm going to give you, my PGF Quarterback Power Rankings. I'm going to tell you who the top 10 quarterbacks I think are in the NFL right now, and I'm going to let Ty tell me where I'm right and where I'm wrong on these guys. At number 10, Ty, I've got Dak Prescott. We just talked about him a little bit. You made the bold statement of saying the Cowboys are a Super Bowl contender, and he's a big reason why. Let's be honest. Dak's been really good. He's completing 77.5% of his throws, six touchdowns, only two interceptions. He's playing really well. He played really again on or really well again on Monday night. He's been really good on third down. When it really matters, it seems like he makes the big play. He makes the big throw. He keeps the chains moving. He's taking care of the ball, and he's putting Dallas in a position to win, and that's all you can ask for from your quarterback. So I've got Dak at number 10. At number 9, I've got Kyler Murray. His growth year to year is really starting to show. This is a guy that I, quite frankly, did not believe in when he came into the league. But he has MVP-level numbers, the third most passing yards, and the fifth most touchdown passes in the league so far, plus a rushing touchdown in each of their first three games. He's been really impressive. At number eight, I have Matthew Stafford. Let's face it, Stafford has always been a top 10 talent. But now we're seeing what elite coaching can do for a quarterback. He's been awesome so far with nine touchdowns, and three of those touchdowns have gone for over 50 yards. He has added a deep ball element to this Rams offense that they desperately needed, and they look like one of the best teams in the NFL right now. At number seven, I've got Josh Allen. 
His rookie year, he looked like a bust. Year two was better, not great. Year three was MVP-esque. But he's getting it going after a slow start to this year. He's a dual threat, but not always consistent. And that's why I don't have him quite in my top five range, but just one of the best young quarterbacks in the game, certainly, and a guy who's starting to put it together these last couple weeks. At number six, I've got Lamar Jackson. He's been a bit careless with the football, especially for someone like him so far this year with three interceptions and two fumbles in the first three games. That's been a little bit concerning, but he is absolutely carrying this Baltimore team right now. He's the best running quarterback of all time. It's not even close. We talked about how dynamic of a playmaker he is, and his passing has improved each season he's been in the NFL. He's always been a little undervalued as a thrower. This guy comes in at number six for me. At number five, this one's going to shock you guys, but I've got Justin Herbert. This kid makes it look so easy, especially on third down. Through three games, his numbers are on par with Patrick Mahomes. He checks every box. When you're looking for a franchise quarterback, he is big, tall, strong, has an absolute rocket arm. He's accurate. He's athletic. He can run. He can pick up third downs with his feet. And now he's learning how to win, including that huge game that we talked about against Kansas City. I've got him at five. At number four, Russell Wilson. The Seahawks have flaws. Let's face it. This team has a lot of holes, and they can't just rely on Wilson to carry them. And that's really starting to show because he's not as good as he used to be rolling out of the pocket and making plays, but he's got zero turnovers. He's still absolutely elite. He can carve up any defense on any given Sunday. Russell Wilson at number four. At number three, I've got Aaron Rodgers. Last year's MVP, he's bounced back from that horrid week one, and he looks like he's at that MVP level again. He was awesome against the 49ers, and he is showing so much accuracy late in his career, still has so much zip on the ball, and makes them a threat every single Sunday. At number two, Patrick Mahomes. He's on pace to have his best touchdown-to-interception ratio of his career, and he's doing it with a new offensive line and a shaky defense. Let's face it, if Patrick Mahomes retired today, we'd all say he was an all-timer. At number one, you know who it is, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Even without much of a run game, he's thrown for 1,087 yards, which is second most in the NFL right now, in 10 touchdowns leading the NFL. Nobody reads a defense better, and his arm is still good. He's still got that quick release, and he's as good as he's ever been. Unbelievable that this guy's at this advanced age and playing at this high of a level. Ty, what do you make of the quarterback rankings? Tell me where I'm right and where I'm wrong. I don't think Tom Brady is number one in the power ranking at the quarterback position. I feel like he's in the top five. I, I think we could debate either Rodgers. I really don't want to give Mahomes that leg up. Uh, I, I want to, like, settle back. I think he might be in the 3-4 range. But with, with this loss right here, I, I feel like this is the bad part. Like, is Antonio Brown a piece of the puzzle that he needed to have out there for them to win that game? I don't know because in other games he tries to go away from them, but they're missing a piece. So it's glaring that Antonio Brown was missed in that offense. So Tom Brady has to figure that out moving forward, especially with a big game on the horizon. Number two, I, I severely question 
Justin Herbert at five. There are quarterbacks that are behind him that I feel deserve their just due. With all of the attributes that you bring to the table, I want to see him actually be consistent while other guys are doing the same damage as him, i.e. the guy that you have at six with Lamar Jackson with the same record. They're both two and one, but one actually can get you 100 yards on the ground rushing, especially with less pieces on the field. With what he has and what he gets is what you see is what you get. It's Mark Andrews. It's Hollywood Brown. This guy is still playing football at a clip where he's not seen a five-loss season yet. Also, and I think Carr was missed too. So, like, Carr is a a question mark that I have too because Derek Carr deserves much more respect, and I put him in the top quarterbacks. Uh, Number 10 is too low for Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott has come out of the gates playing great football including a game in week one Thursday night while the Buccaneers put a banner up and he gave Tom Brady a run for his money. I get it. Stafford beat this team, but he actually woke the world up on a blueprint on how to try to beat the Buccaneers and it's gotten figured out by Stafford and the Rams and company too. So Kyler Murray, he's playing good. And and you actually noted he's third in one category and fifth in another, and you have him at ninth. So there's some adjusting that we need to look at right now pgf i'm 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 questioning my brother here on his top 10 right now we have to shake this thing up i'm I'm not buying too much of what he gave i know some people will have some pushback as well but Derek Carr has to get in here at least a little bit higher herbert has done well and is it's gaudy what he did in, in arrowhead but i, I want to see some of the guys that have already been here and taking their lumps and still qualify to be in this discussion before we give the the puppy some run before these big dogs Okay, I understand your point about Herbert, but this is a guy who last year broke almost every NFL rookie quarterback record in the book, and he looks even better so far this year. Let's put it this way, Ty. If I could choose one player to start a franchise with today, I'd take Justin Herbert. And I had a really hard time keeping Derek Carr off this list. He was right in that 10 mix for me. I thought you could easily make a case for him in the top 10. I've just been really impressed with Dak Prescott and Kyler Murray this year, and they just edged him out in that 10-9 range, and that's kind of where I was looking at for him. Josh Allen is a guy that I thought was kind of right in the mix for the top five. I, I went back and forth between Herbert and Allen in the top five. Lamar Jackson, I think, would be in my top five, but he's been way too careless with the football this year. That was the only reason I bumped him is the turnovers have been a big-time issue for him this year but he's been absolutely electric and he's carrying that team and you made a great case for how well he's done considering all the missing pieces and and what he's had to do for that team has been very impressive so he's certainly right there and you can mix up these names no doubt about it you could make a case for any of these one of these guys to go up or down and all over the place but I just think it's a lot of fun to look at and hopefully you guys enjoyed it PGF Nation but it's time for everybody's favorite segment pick six Last week, Ty, I went two and one. You went one and two. We went 500 combined for you guys. So not great, but not bad. Didn't lose you any money. So hopefully we can have a hot uh, weekend for you guys and get some winners. Ty, why don't you kick this thing off with your first pick for the pick six? I apologize, everybody out there on PGF. I did not think Connecticut would score points and beat Wyoming. Wyoming left their game somewhere in the mountain region of the United States. So again, I apologize. The first game I'm going with is a 6 o'clock Eastern Standard game. The Florida Gators go to Kentucky to play the Wildcats. They're favored by eight. I think the Gators go in there and blow the doors off the hinges, especially the way they've been able to play ball. 
and they're going to need this game to try and move up in ranks. I don't think this is a tooth and nail game. They have to start to separate within the SEC. Yeah, Florida laying eight on the road versus Kentucky, a Kentucky team that's 4-0, and Ty. That's a scary matchup for me, but you're right as far as Florida. If they want to contend for that SEC title, if they want to contend for that college football playoff, these are the kind of games that they have to win. They have more talent on the roster than Kentucky. I think they're the better team than Kentucky, certainly. So this is a game where eight points scares me a little bit. I think this could be a close game, but I like your confidence and I like what, you, what you're saying there because I think this is going to be a Florida team that's going to be fired up and focused and going to have have some of their best effort. So Ty's got Florida with the blowout win against Kentucky. I do like it. I'm going to start in the NFL, Ty, and I'm going to take the Seattle Seahawks getting two and a half after being embarrassed by an 0-2 Vikings team last week. I expect a desperate and fired up Seattle team to play lights out in a big division rivalry game. Knowing how important this one is, being one and two right now, their season is kind of on the brink here. If they lose this game and fall to one and three, all of a sudden it's a big climb in that NFC West to get back in playoff contention. So they know how big this game is. I expect them to be fired up and play one of their best games of the year. Getting two and a half, I think, is a little bit of value there. So I'm going to take Seattle plus two and a half. The next one I have is Marshall uh, on the road up against Middle Tennessee. Uh, They're favored by 10. They came off with a big win this weekend. I feel like they might be able to turn this thing around. I think Marshall will actually pull this one off, giving 10 at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard. I like it, Ty. I like it. Going a little off the radar there with Marshall. But yeah, they looked pretty good and maybe they've got some momentum here. So I like that pick, Ty. I'm going to go back to college football here and take the Pitt Panthers. I'm going to lay the three and a half versus Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is coming off a big top 25 blowout win versus North Carolina. And I think this is the perfect letdown spot for Georgia Tech in this spot, especially because I think Pitt is going to be able to move the ball. I think they're going to be able to run the ball against Georgia Tech and control the clock a little bit in this one. So I I think Pitt is going to be able to put up some points in this. And I like just laying the three and a half versus Georgia Tech. And that's interesting because Pitt, they, they are upsy daisy. I, I really don't, I can't figure their defense out. One day they're stout, and, and one game they they come out and just let let people put a lot of points on the board. Uh, but my last pick out of the pick six and my three, I'm gonna go NFL on this one. I am not pleased with what I see with the New York Giants, so I'm gonna go with the Saints at home up against the Giants, giving them eight to make this an interesting start for the Giants to go 0-4. I don't believe in what I've seen. They let the Falcons figure them out. If the Saints can actually bounce back after that win going up to New England after losing to Carolina, I think they have to keep this thing going. I think Jameis has a little fun up against this Giants secondary. Uh, there's there's too many question marks that I have. Even though I feel like Danny Dimes can make this a game, he has that receiving core, but the one thing that I give the Saints credit is their defense is pretty much stout, and I feel like they can threaten Danny Dimes within that pocket or, and keep him corralled as best as possible to not pick up too many brown yards and uh, making him be honest with the ball. If, if, if he can make these passes happen, I mean, it could be a different day, but I, I don't believe in him. They should have been able to at least have a win on the board. The Giants are actually scary bad at this point in time. I'm, I'm going with the Saints at home. 
Yeah, I don't think that's a terrible pick, Ty. And you're right about the Giants. They've been easily one of the most disappointing teams to start the year because a lot of people had them as kind of a sneaky wild card type of pick. And they've been a big letdown, losing big in week one to Denver, not being able to generate a pass rush. Week two, they easily should have won that game against Washington, but couldn't get out of their own way. And then they gave up a last second field goal to Atlanta to lose back-to-back games on last-second field goals has got to be painful for this team. And really the biggest issue is once again for about the third year in a row, the offensive line is terrible. For the New York Giants, it might be the worst unit in the entire NFL. And with that Saints front and that defense, I think you're right. They're going to be able to stop this team. They can't get anything going offensively. I don't see them being able to get it going against the Saints defense. So I like that pick by you there, Ty. I'm going to finish this off here, Ty, and go to the NFL with you and take the Carolina Panthers getting four points versus the Dallas Cowboys. This Panthers defense is young and hungry, and they are starting to look like they're the real deal. I really like what I've seen from them in that side of the ball. They had a shutout last week. They've been limiting teams and getting after teams. Brian Burns is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. They've got a lot of playmakers flying around the field for the Panthers. And this line feels a little bit inflated after a big primetime blowout win by the Cowboys. To me, I would have expected this to be closer to a field goal game, maybe a two and a half or three point game. The fact that I'm getting four with Carolina, I think is just a little too much value. Once you get more than a field goal in an NFL game versus a good Carolina team, I think this could be a perfect kind of letdown spot as well. Cowboys are kind of riding high after that big blowout win. So give me the four points with the Carolina Panthers to finish out the pick six. Also wanted to let you guys know, for all you guys who enjoy the Pick 6 segment each week and like betting on football, be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at PGF Podcast and the blog at pintglassfootball.com because our official football betting analyst, Leland Betancourt, puts out free picks every week for the NFL and college football, so be sure to check that out. But that is going to do it for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Be sure to check out next week as we continue with college football and NFL coverage like nobody else, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.